Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at viking.com. Coming up on the WSJ Media Mix podcast, About.com CEO Neil Vogel explains how he's helping modernize the 19-year-old website, why he's splitting About.com into a series of standalone properties, and why it's risky for publishers to rely on partners such as Facebook and Google. Welcome to the WSJ Media Mix podcast, bringing you interviews and analysis with people that matter in the fast-changing media business. Hello and welcome to the WSJ Media Mix podcast, bringing you interviews and analysis with the people who matter in the fast-changing media business. Uh, today, our guest is Neil Vogel, CEO of About.com Group. Neil, thanks for joining us. Thanks. Happy I matter. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm joined by my colleague, Mr. Michael Shields. Mike, how are you? Hello, Jack. I know I don't matter, but thank you. <laughs> um, so, Neil, thanks for, thanks for joining us. Um, so I was hoping you could just start off uh, just giving us a bit of background about um, About.com and your time there. Um, if we sort of rewind to 2005, About.com was sort of one of the the biggest sites and biggest brands on the internet. We were it. We were we were we were we were definitely at the cool kids table in the cafeteria for a while. So I think I'll, I'll give you the quick history, or okay. my my history. So I joined uh, in 2013, very soon after IAC, which is Barry Diller, I'm sure you know, uh, bought it from the New York Times. Mm-hmm. The New York Times had owned it uh, for a number of years before that Prime Media had owned it. And I think so. Did, um, did the Times buy it in 2005? Times that bought it a- in. Something like that, plus or minus okay. around there. They bought it from Prime Media. Um, they spent a bunch of money. I think in the time that they owned it, the Times had some existential Times problems, so they weren't really focused on it. Uh, about did not. It was very underinvested. I don't think. I don't think that they uh, thought a lot about the future. Of about I think they're thinking a lot about the. Fu- I wasn't there, but I think they were thinking a lot about the future of the New York Times. Mm-hmm. About's always been very profitable. I think that was helpful. And I think when the Times sort of righted the ship and figured out what they were going to do. They were kind of done with it. So uh, very opportunistically, IAC, which I'm sure you know, incubates lots of businesses and across the spectrum of Internet things, uh, acquired it, and then they brought me in to run it. And I think the the good news and the bad news were kind of the same news. At the time I got there, I'm like, we we had 100 million users, and we were doing 100 million in revenue a year, except that was like way, way less than we were doing three years before that. So so this this was about three years ago. You've been there. This, I've been there years, a, a little more than three years, a little more than three years okay. now. and. Why had revenue gone down? Uh, because they didn't do anything. I basically the when we got there the, um, and and, and I want to this is important because a lot of the people are still there. It wasn't the fault of the people that were there. Just the times didn't have an appetite to do anything with it. So we got there in thirteen. I don't think the product had been touched since '06. Some of the content was ten years old. The code was terrible. We were running on like code that we couldn't even hire engineers to support anymore. So I remember the, the design was It was, was terrible. It was ter- and the, the, the real problem was the monetization was almost entirely Google monetization. For, for if, if you know what that means, it means it was all uh, AdSense. So it was a lot of blue links. So the vast majority of our revenue came from, uh, we got traffic from Google, and then we monetized with Google. And obviously, that's a precarious place to be when you want to control your own destiny. Mm-hmm. And over time, um, Google's a simple animal, a complex animal. To sim- they want to give people the very best content for what they're searching for. And over time, due to lack of investment, we just weren't that anymore. So we, we were losing ground rapidly, and I was brought in to um, clean it up, fix it. And I think for our first two years there, we did a, an incredible job. The squad we put together did a great job of getting this thing from 2006 to 2014. 
And that means we rewrote every line of code. We redesigned the whole site from scratch. But the thing, the first choice we made was we were going to keep the about.com business model, which is we are uh, at the time 800, 900, 1,000 experts writing content specifically on topics they know an awful lot about. And we were very much a general interest site. One of the things we did is we, we, we arranged the site into verticals so people could understand it more, but we were still a general interest, I, I don't like the word portal, but like portal model site where um, the content was great. We still got a lot of traffic from search, but, but we were undifferentiated in that way. And we actually had a lot of luck, a lot of financial luck in the first years. We righted the ship. We got things moving in the right direction. We got traffic stopped going down, revenue stopped going down. Everyone was very excited. And uh, we, I think we were perceived by Team IAC as like, this is a pretty big success. And then probably about a year ago, nine months ago, um, we started to really think that what we were probably doing was the wrong thing better, not the right thing. And by the wrong thing better, it means sort of we made this general site as good as we could be, but this isn't how people use the internet anymore. You weren't sort of future. We were not. The, the we were. Business. We were kind of doing the opposite of future proofing. We were maximizing the return on the old model. And mm -hmm. I think wh where we came out was we said, "Wait a minute. The way people use the internet now, it, it's everything's based on trust, right? If you see something on a social network, if you see something on Google, if you see something from one of your friends, are you going to trust that? And if if you want to cook dinner, you might want your recipe from Tastemate or from Epicurious. Probably not from About Food, right? If, if you want. Health information, you might want WebMD or Everyday Health or Healthline, not about health, right? People don't want colitis information from the place that tells them how to make an apple pie. And Is that because people just don't know the about brand or just it stood for too many things at once? I, actually, both. I think because we stood for too many things at once, it was very, very hard for the brand to mean something. I think when you let off by saying in 2005, we kind of were, we were great. We were in, and it was in 2005 what mattered is... The internet was still the Wild West for many, many, many people. If they saw a brand they recognized, that was good enough for them. They trusted it. It worked. But I think what's happened as the internet's matured is the, if you're going to be a premium publisher, the vertical premium publishers have a distinct advantage. And, and we thought we were somewhat on the wrong side of history. So we set out, had a very interesting series of conversations with the team at IC that says, well, all this thing, we invested all this money and hired all these people we said is fixed. We're actually not fixed. And we want to blow this thing up and start over again. And to their credit, because they're internet people, they, once we sold them on the idea, have been very supportive. Um, and what we're doing now is we're transforming sort of this old school internet model into a new model. The, the reason we can do it is because our content is still great. The, the, the idea that subject level experts write about things makes a lot of sense on the internet. We, we pay our writers. We pay them very well. Um, they're, uh, they, they often have other jobs and do other things. Um, so we took this pool of content and said, well, where can we compete? And there's, where can, let's, first of all, where are we not going to compete? We're not a breaking news site. We are evergreen content. We are, when we say evergreen, we mean something. If we write something, it should be good anywhere from a year to five years or even, even longer if it's a recipe, shorter if it's some commentary on your mortgage. Mm -hmm. um, where can we compete? And we took a look at what we're doing well, and it says, okay, we can compete in health. We can compete in finance and personal finance. We can compete probably in tech in our own way. We can compete in home and food in our own way. And the good thing is we can compete and break ourselves into smaller pieces and still do it at scale because we're still, even, even after our struggles, we're still gigantic. We're huge. So uh, the first thing we did is, is after eight or nine months of work, we launched um, April 27th, which was around my birthday. Uh, we launched very well, which was our health site. 
our health site, which is immediately out of the gate, a competitor to WebMD and Everyday Health. So in, you were just, to be scale. clear, just sort of migrating the content that would have sat on, on about.com related well, to health. Yeah, and- what we did is we we actually went a step further, and, and I think we, we, we also felt like if we're going to do this, we're going to do this right. And and to be a publisher in the world today, you have to have a reason to exist, right? The world doesn't need another site doing the same thing WebMD does, same thing Everyday Health does. So we took a look at our content, which is sort of all written by humans. A lot of it has like a an advocacy perspective. Uh, we've never, although we have a, a growing pharma advertising business now, we didn't before. So we're not written and designed to suit advertisers, written and designed to suit people. So we put forth this site um, that we named very well, that we built completely from scratch. Taxonomy, plumbing, infrastructure, the only thing it shares in common with the old about is the CMS for publisher nerds who care about stuff like that. But everything else is is uh, brand new, purpose-built, with the idea of when you go to the health sites you know now, you leave and you generally feel worse than when you got there. Because it's a little bit like, like local news. They're in the business of scaring you because it makes you come back and consume more. Uh, we said, no, we're not going to do it that way. We're going to be kinder, gentler, friendlier. And if it, it, it's hard in a podcast to like describe a website, but it's clean and it's beautiful and it's infinite scroll and it's not ad heavy. Um, we work a lot with illustrations because stock photography doesn't really work. And we we worked very, very hard to take our, our we started with 90,000 pieces of health content. We got down to, we threw 40 in the garbage, said, okay, we're going to go with the best 50,000. Then we materially changed your. So you literally throw that away, or that will still just live no, it's on gone. About dot com, gone, gone, okay. gone, gone, gone. I'm part of the problem with about dot com was, um, it was like a tree that never got cut back. Right. We were just pile because the, the thought was um, before we got there that that would be good for search, more and more and more stuff. It turns out it's not good for search traffic. It's bad. Search wants to be able to understand a clean, coherent corpus of content. So we 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 basically cut the corpus in half, and then. Um, a 40-person editorial team of like medical writers spent six months going through the rest of it and cleaning it all up. We put it forth into the world uh, again at the end of April, and uh, our what we told IAC was we would probably be 90 days to traffic break even. It would take the algorithms a while to figure this to out. To sort of recoup Google, that. Facebook, Pinterest, the places we get. it would take you know recoup. It would take a while, and it would take a while for consumers to do it. We're a little more than two months in, and we're like 20, 25% up in traffic from where we started. And you attribute that to? 100% taking um, this really good content and putting it in uh, in a structure that is conducive to health. It is a health, like one of the things we learned in health, which we didn't understand on about, is we would have, everyone on the internet has recirculation units, right? You. You read an article, and then we make you suggestions of other things you'd want to read. Well, when health is on about.com, we would suggest all kinds of stuff. The, it turns out that if you're reading about diabetes, you only want to know about diabetes. Right. If, if, if we try and put something else in front of you, you actually get mad. And it turns out that, that health consumers, if they don't eat way more so than if you're like trying to figure out that apple pie recipe, if they don't know if it's an ad or if it's content, they get mad. They get really mad. Bec- and... and um, Algorithms, Google, Facebook, are increasingly putting more importance on uh, what they call your money, your life content, like health content and money because effective to your life. So w- when, we, when we built this new site, we totally changed how we do circulation, and we don't do that anymore. So if you, if you come in on 
um, MS content, you're only getting MS content, and we have a very good data capability to try and figure out what you want to know next. And we're, we're super respectful of your time in a way that would be not right for our home site. Like our home site is you want to do a bedroom, you want a million suggestions. It's not what our people want. So we started to do these things, and, and all of a sudden these traffic sources we've never had before we're 3x the social traffic to health than we were before, mainly because the social algorithms didn't like us. They, like, about.com doesn't resonate in your feed where very well does. And um, so, so why is that? I mean, because obviously, you know, about.com was sort of built, um, you know, to sort of not game search engines, but, you know, to, to attract search traffic. And I feel like the, the type of content that, you know, you're sort of producing with very well is is not dissimilar to that no i think we're we're doing um uh, we're probably 20 percent better on search traffic two months in than when we started because i i think um the concept of gaming a search engine is not something one can do today they're they're the uh most sophisticated longest running algorithms you might be able to find an anomaly it's like a it's like wall street right you might be able to find an anomaly in that trade for a while but someone's going to close that and and um, you're also seeing that increasingly in Facebook, right? Like, think of the different publishers that, that have gone, like, way up, way down. And th- there's all kinds of things going on. So we, all we're trying to do is if, is if you hurt your elbow playing tennis, we want to give you the best answer possible in as comprehensive way as possible in a, in, a, in a site that looks a lot more like a lifestyle site than a clinical medical site. And, and uh, so far it's working. And it's a... It's super gratifying. It's very positive. We, we haven't had um, – this has been a, a fix-it mission, right? So, so we, we've done a lot of fixing, and it's much more gratifying to get things going north than to get them to stop going south. Mm-hmm. And we stopped the south, but now that we're sort of like – I had a meeting a week ago at IC, and one of the guys in, in the room, the new CEO, was basically like, Vogel, what's going on? I'm like, no, I th- – I, they're so used to hearing, well, this went well, but this went poorly, and this went well. There was like seven things went well. They're like, what's going on here? Well, because this is what the world wants. This is how the world wants content. And um, to go back so to... So really, th- you're just kind of organizing for... Uh, I mean, you know, this is a strategy that's sort of being used by a lot of publishers now, you know, whether it's sort of Vox or, yeah. or whatever. I, I, I don't want to call it niche, but whether you call it sort of focused... Um, I think we're organizing for trust. I think it's a lot easier to trust something that means something. And I think, Mike, you, at, you said we've been around a long time. Does the about.com, like, what, Brent, what does it mean? We just, you can't be everything to everyone. And that's what we, you used, to, being everything to everyone used to be a virtue, used to be what helped you. But you can't anymore. And it, it took us too long to make the transition. But now that we're making it, we're seeing immediate results and we're kind of off to do the rest of, the almost all of the corpus of content over the next six eight months okay uh we're going to take a quick break there but coming up we'll have more with neil vogel i'm veronica dagger and i want to retire rich how about you then listen to the watching your wealth podcast we'll help you get there for more information check us out at wsj.com slash podcast and find us on itunes stitcher and now spotify wsj podcasts listen ambitiously now back to the show Welcome back to the WSJ Media Mix podcast. I'm Jack Marshall in New York with my colleague Mike Shields, and we've been speaking to About.com CEO Neil Vogel. Um, so, Neil, we were just sort of touching on this prior to the break, but one thing we talk about a lot on the podcast 
um, is sort of the necessity of building brands in sort of the modern digital publishing era. Um, I, I feel like in the past few years, it's been possible to sort of build a nice little business for yourself without necessarily people knowing who you are. Um, I mean, it sounds like you guys are, are sort of trying to play into that with, as you said, sort of spinning off these verticals. Um, but I was just kind of interested to get your, your take on that. It's hard. It, it It's particularly hard. I think that if you're a publisher now, I think the first thing you have to recognize is you have no friends. <laughs> you, have no, you have no friends. You're... You have you have like frenemies, right? They're kind of like all the algorithms. Google is your friend until they're not. Facebook is your friend until they're not. Mm-hmm. And and so uh, you have two. Friends. Pinterest is your friend, and then and and then <laughs> you mean you're like not. Their interests are always going to come first, no matter what. Like definitionally, yeah. their interests will always come first. And if you do the right things as a publisher, that generally will work out, right? Particularly with Google, who is a, a, a longer, more established. Uh, but for instance, with Facebook, a lot of publishers, and this actually hasn't happened to us because of the nature of how we use Facebook, but a lot of guys are doing the right thing, exactly what Facebook wanted, and then they just turned them off last week anyway. But right. um, we happen to not really affecting us because our, our, we're, our content is generally not something that's going to go like viral, like a BuzzFeed post. We're, we generally succeed on social because people share us and we're part of groups and conditional groups. So we have a, we have a little bit of a... We're never, ever going to be as big, but we have a bit of a stopped-out downside is what we found. But we've seen that kind of play out before with search, right? I mean, about.com is a good example, which would have been hit by Google, I think it was 2010, 2011, Uh, the whole sort of content farm sort of era. And I think Google sort of, in one fell swoop, cut a lot of those guys off at the knees. Yeah, I mean, we, we, that was before my time. We got beat up a little bit, but I mean, the rest of the, you know, the demand, half those guys are gone now. They don't exist. We... We definitely got beat up, and we're probably still digging out from it now. I think the wow. interesting thing about building a, a brand, I think digging out's aggressive. I think we're sort of on the other side of it. But but for a while, we, we didn't want to be, even be talked about with those guys. But the, I think what, what builds a brand now is um, you need diversity of traffic sources, right? You have to... You absolutely, if you rely, if, if you're the fish swimming on the back of the whale, like, and that whale, something happens to that whale, you're in deep trouble. So you, you, there's some guys, Zinsider's done it, some guys have done a really good job of balancing out traffic from as many sources as you can get. We have a really nice email program. We have a really nice social presence now. Search is still our uh, dominant source of traffic for things like very well, but we're in the old about when we got there, search Google at all was probably 90% of our traffic. Now it's 50 because we're doing these other things. And we have a business now that's a lot more, you're a lot less worried at night when you go home that something bad is going to happen in the morning because you can deal with it. And, and um, so I think th- that from the, from the, how do you build a brand? You, you, you need diversity of traffic sources because you, you need people to come in. But I think the way that we're building a brand and we've built very well, relatively quickly, and you could argue whether it's a real brand or not yet. I, I would, say that it's, at least now it's a 20 to 25% better brand than about is in the space because we have 20 to 25% more traffic than sort of apples to apples of when we left, is we're doing it with um, honesty and clearly defining what we are in the space and, and doing something very, very differentiated, right? We're, 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 we think we're doing something in the space that is we are the kinder, gentler health site. We are the alternative to the big, scary health site that you don't know. We're not clinical. We're not scary that has seemed to resonate with people and 
We've done it through building some press. You know, we, there's no amount of money we could spend to to get to build a. We could never spend money effectively to do it. So you have to do it with um, product. Ultimately, product is going to win on the internet, and and product and a combination of being smart enough to try and get your users from as many different diverse places as possible. I, I know you said you're not you're not making the moves you're making to to think with advertisers in mind, but I wonder. What, oh no no we we you want to refresh we are, we are. when you have a brand like about that's been around for a while I wonder, does that work against you it's it's such a shiny new new object meat uh, industry you know do, do advertisers want you know move past somebody like you and yeah I, yeah time? I mean so again advertisers are the same way right if you're if you're a health advertiser or a pharma advertiser you, you want to you want to advertise with someone who you feel like understands your business and being an endemic vertical publisher really really helps. The, the the key advantage for us is we can be an endemic vertical publisher and also have scale. Like no one has scale. We're we're we came out of the gate. We're probably the third or fourth biggest ad supported health site in the world because we had so much content. I think the story that works for about and I think it's we're not like a guy that was shiny and then not shiny. So we're dealing with sort of like the bloom being off the rose, like some of the fancier publishers today. Right, we've you been didn't around crash. So, we, just been around for a while. <laughs> exactly, we've been around. We've been uh, we've been around for so long that a number of advertisers really got like us and got comfortable with us because we're intent driven traffic. So when people aren't about, to, you're not browsing about dot com like you're browsing whatever BuzzFeed or ESPN or something. You're there because you want to solve a problem. So. Our, our stuff generally performs really well, and we have major, major blue-chip advertisers. We were a substantial business before we did this. But what has happened now is, take health as an example, now that we have an endemic vertical, we can say, okay, we have that same scale you used to like. We have intent. We've actually gotten very, very good at data because we had to because we didn't have anything else. And now we have like a real brand that people love. You roll those together, and all of a sudden our future looks pretty good. We, we, it's sort of like we learned um, – we learned how to win the fight with like one hand tied behind our back. And, and, and now that our sales team, which we're also breaking into verticals, has the ability to walk into name the pharma company, name the healthcare company and say, we have this great brand. Oh, and all that data and stuff that you were buying us for before, we still have that too. We're seeing a much quicker ramp than we expected. But look, it's a fair question. The, the, we are nobody, right? There's there's three places to be on that buy. There's you're a must buy, you're on the buy, and you're off the buy. We have been off the buy or on the buy. We are now just trying to become a must buy, and it's actually starting to happen. Do you find, from a traffic perspective, you kind of just touched on it there, but um, and as far as advertisers are concerned, is search traffic sort of more valuable for you as a publisher than social traffic, for instance? I mean, people talk a lot about um, sort of the ability for Google to monetize its audience because obviously it has the intent that's related to search versus sort of the more contextual sort of social environment of a Facebook, for example. And I just wonder, if someone's coming through search, do you sort of benefit from that intent as well? Sort of, I, I think, y- yes. I think um, there's a, you can, you can boil it down to a math problem, right? So every user starts out of equal value. The probability of keeping that stream of users has, has a value, right? It's probably higher on Google than it is on Facebook because of more variability, but that goes both ways. So you can do a math problem and say, well, versus how long someone stays and how much they look at, you can say, you know what? turns out for us, everyone is reasonably equal, right? I think um, for us, we're only a certain portion of our content will ever be exposed to like 
uh, social user, right? You're not, you're generally, if you're looking for symptoms of colitis, you're not going to share that on Facebook. <laughs> it's just not how, it's not how it works. But you may have found like these five great diet tips that, that does do great on Facebook. And we just had a video on Facebook do seven and a half million views. It was had to do with like how dogs and how cats relieve stress. Of course, it was a cat video, but it, so. Cats um, work on the internet. That's, so, that's one thing. We in terms of relative value, I think what, what we, we have actually, um, we believe, I, I personally believe for our business, which is intent-driven business, search is the most important source and is the most valuable visit-by-visit visit source for us is going to be search. However, we haven't necessarily spent a disproportionate amount of time on search versus other sources because we need to build other sources to get some protection. I, we can't go back to the world where, where we have, were so reliant on someone else's decision that, you know, like we could have the best days or the worst days and we didn't even know what happened. So... So does that mean diversifying your Div- your content as well? I mean, you mentioned video. I yeah, mean, is so, that relatively new for you? Yeah, I, I, video is very new for us. Um, I think what we've learned how to do as an organization, and we're still not, we're getting there. We're not great at it yet. Is exactly what you said. It's funny. You're one of the first people who's brought that up. You need a if you're an evergreen publisher like us, and you want to compete on on non search platforms. It's very tricky because you have to do things that are still in line with your brand and in line with your brand mission and have the characteristics that do well on Pinterest or on uh, Facebook. Like Pinterest is a, is, is a, the same amount of traffic source as Facebook is for us, which interesting. is weird because we're – but what, like visuals are hugely important. Content, though? That's interesting. Yeah. You know, I think – the interesting thing about about Facebook is you something if you get something on Facebook it's got a, a life right La, you know Twitter has like a two second life but but Facebook lasts like a day or two maybe three four if something runs Pinterest is much more like a search engine hmm. something gets in there it lasts forever and Pinterest is great for recipes it's um, great for some conditional stuff it's really great for visual things uh, and we've done really really well with it because. Uh, it it matches up with our evergreen content really well. So Pinterest has been a, a hugely pleasant surprise for us. We're I think we're one of their bigger partners. Huh. And so anyway, to, back to the prior point is, you know, a medical site is not always the most visual site. So you have to create things that are on brand that will work on Pinterest. Maybe it's an infographic. Maybe it's a different visual way to present something. And to do things on Facebook, you have to be very smart about making videos. And we're now on our health site in particular. We're we're, we're now on instant articles. Not all of our content, because some of it, frankly, is way too valuable, but probably 50% of our content is in instant articles now on health. So we're, we're learning how to make content and use these things um, in, in a new sort of way. So do you think that some of these guys that have sort of relied on Facebook over the past couple of years, I mean, you know, people have amassed audiences of 40, 50 million in two and a half, three years. Um, is that I can sort of see the appeal, but that's just learning how to do one thing very well. And what it sounds like you're saying is, you know, you have to sort of. I think if you all I would say is, if you learn to do one thing really well, the outcome is you can do one thing really well. Right. And I'm not. We were that thing for a long time. It's taken three years to get from where we were to where we are, and um, it's hard. It's very risky. It's very risky. the The other thing that's happening in the space is there is a there is a correlation between those businesses and the second risk in the space is there is a series of businesses that have um, raised an extraordinary amount of capital in a space that's never had this much capital in it before that can make 
decisions that we have to compete against, particularly on the shinier platforms like the social platforms, where I have an amount of EBITDA or cash flow I have to deliver to ISE every year, given all that we're doing, it's very, very hard to compete against people who are not working on like a normal P&L. The good news for us is the, the, the verticals we're competing in are generally more established businesses, finance, uh, f- home and food a little less so, but health for sure, tech in between. But that that's a, I'm not sure if, I'm not sure where that leaves the market. I think too much money, people get sloppy. They do weird things. All of a sudden, you're like, you sold what for what? How do What is going on here? How does that work? The good news is we'll be able to sell to someone later, but their expectations have been reset. So so do you think there is sort of a content bubble that's been forming? I know a lot of people have said, like, 2016 is going to be the year that these things start to shake out. But. You know, I here's what I think about all these things, and I don't know enough about any one of them to have a point of view, is I think an incredible amount of value has been created, right? I think there's been a, a lot... I, I, but I don't know what that value is, nor do I necessarily know how to value it. You know, media businesses, if you go way back, they trade on cash flow. Mm-hmm. And when when these things boil down to cash flow, we, we will see. I mean, uh, frankly, in my current role, I don't have I don't spend a lot of time thinking about what somebody's worth or what somebody isn't worth. It it's a lot more interesting from our perch to look at what somebody who has you know sort of like quote unquote infinite capital what they choose to do with it and sometimes we're, we look at them and think, oh, I wish we had that kind of mind. And other times we're like, what are they doing? Like, why would you do that? And that you don't need 75 people doing that thing. Um, so, you know, we're, it's, it's a mixed bag, let's say. Um, uh, so what about ad blocking? I mean, this is something we have to, <laughs> we have to ask yeah, everybody. No, um, I mean, obviously, you know, you guys have relied on sort of display advertising I mean, over the yeah. years. I know you have sort of a branded content studio that I guess is in its early stages. But yeah, yeah. Um, we, so far, um, we have seen um, very, very, very minimal impact of ad blocking on our business. Um, is that because of the nature of your audience? I think or so. Or demographics? I, yeah, I think so. It? I mean, we're not, uh, we're not like a gamer site for young men, which I think would have a different profile. Mm-hmm. Um, our our profile look of users, if you go across our verticals, looks a lot like the internet because we're just we're so big. We um, we actually see more on desktop than on mobile. Interesting, which is, which is interesting, wow. and it's it's not and it's by not how much a, is that like a sixty forty split or what are we talking? Yeah, but I mean we're talking like low single digits of stuff. It's not like a, the we play the percentages will start looking funny, but you know we we see some i think most of the larger publishers are beginning to see it i i don't know how much i we're i could get i forget the actual number but call it five percent maybe maybe even a little bit less um it we're very cognizant of it it uh, there was a while when like all things the media scared the crap out of me and all of my brethren in the world <laughs> thanks but, media and uh, thanks media <laughs> that uh the, the uh you know, in every panel ever, there was some existential threat to everything. Uh, I, I think there still is. I, I mean, you can go on the rant. And I would say that it's it's our the industry's own fault. It's completely our own fault. P- people are absolutely willing to tolerate advertising unless it does something that is really awful. And uh, I, I consumers absolutely are willing. Um, you're willing to you watch TV, right? You'll watch maybe you'll skip commercials, but you'll watch commercials. There's a bargain, but 
there are some things. Do you things... think that's a fair analogy, though? I mean, I feel like people no, have always not. been trying to avoid advertising to some extent. It's not a fair analogy, and here's why: because my 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 father, I grew up in Philadelphia, right, is on some website trying to buy a Philadelphia Phillies hat that he likes this one kind to play golf in, right? So he, and then for the next week he goes around the internet and this hat chases him. It chases him everywhere. This is not what he signed up for. So my father, who's a relatively sophisticated guy, is like, what the F is going on here? Who stole my data and information? Who knows this? Right. TV ads don't do that to you. TV ads don't do that to you. That's not the bargain that they cut. And um, we're probably on the other side of it because we do some programmatic selling, I'm sure. There's, there's tons of retargeting that goes on that mm-hmm. we're on the other side of that too, so it helps us. We're not totally innocent. But uh, I'm not so sure that that is the bargain. So, sorry. No, the, the, for, you know, I, I don't know. What, I'm curious. You guys probably hear more about this than I do. I'm curious what, what other publishers are saying about that. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone's trying to figure it out. I mean, that was why I asked about sort of the sponsored content piece as well, because I feel like that's part of the reason that people are gravitating towards, you know, sort of away from the typical yeah. banners, flashing yeah. banners. Especially with that, mobile becoming a bigger deal. Yeah, I mean, sponsored content is a huge part of what we do. Um, it, you love it because you ultimately get a client relationship out of it, in, in, in many cases, which is, which is great. Um, but it's hard. It's just another thing. Another thing that you have to do as a publisher. You're not necessarily uh, the economics of it as a publisher aren't great. You have to do. It. We actually enjoy doing it because it's better work and it's better things. But on the flip side, you have to be careful because then the bargain gets worse. Because if you do, if you do branded content in a way that that you'll see out there, it's confusing to people. That is that content or is that advertising or what is it or does it matter? And so, I I I don't know. I don't know. But frankly, I. I like it. We're quite good at it, and I think what we match up with data and some other things we do, so people really like it from us. I think that um, in two thousand, so far this year, every single deal we've done that for more than a hundred thousand bucks with somebody has had something custom branded that you would call branded content in it. How do you, how do you guys fit in with the rest of IAC? I was IAC is an interesting company that you own a, own a lot of interesting properties that don't necessarily have obvious synergies? How do you guys fit in with that? So mix? IC is very much, um, if you're running a, an internet business, it's a it's a great place to do it. Um, my background's all entrepreneur stuff before doing this. I, I'm not sure I could do this at another media business. They, they You're really, um, they're almost like a private equity shop, right? They're almost like, they're not an incubator. That's not the right term, but they, they we're, we're in a part of IC. We sit with some of the other publishing assets, but we're, we're kind of on our own to so it's not, it's not like you go out to advertisers and sell together. No, 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 no. We're doesn't totally doesn't work the way at all. It wouldn't make sense because the, there's not there's not any other like assets. I think what the interesting thing about IC is is once um, once they have something that works and there's a history of everything from like Expedia to Match doing this. The sky's the limit of what you can do. You can buy things. They'll maybe spin you out as a public company. They'll do this. They'll do that. They'll do the other thing. And um, it's a pretty exciting place to work. It's like working. Um, it's it's almost like being at a really incredible private equity shop where you don't have to worry about capital. And the the guys that run it are. I think the really interesting thing is they're not. It's not a media company. It's an internet company, and they are internet people. And if you look at um, what Barry Diller and the crew and the management now have done since they've gotten there, I mean, I think they've created whatever, $50 billion of, that's a slightly wrong number, of, of public company value out of what they started with. 
Um, I think our market cap now is like five or four or five or something. So there's been some huge wins. It's a, it's, it's definitely an interesting setup. Um, I enjoy it. But that philosophy is going to color your decisions more than like than the you know the the media the a media company the way they think about how to make, how to do business. Yeah, we don't. There's no. Um, we can work with other IC companies if we'd like to, and we don't have to. If it's the right thing to do, we'll do it, and we we do it in some instances. And um, if it's not, there's there's virtually no pressure to do that. But it seems yeah. like there could be good opportunities there to sort of share. Yeah, data we do some. And whatever we, we share. We do some. We do an amount of. It's actually. We're sort of the, of all the publishing assets. We're we're the biggest and been around the longest, and we've developed some capabilities where um, some of the brands like Investopedia, we we will learn some techniques and do some like we solve some viewability problems. So we've helped other IC companies do that. Um, we've done some interesting data things. So we help some of the other publishing entities do some of that. But mm. it's really voluntary. It's if they want the help, we're happy to help, and it sort of works like that. Okay, uh, I think we're out of time, unfortunately, so we're going to have to end it there. But, uh, Neil, thanks a lot for joining us. Great. So much appreciated. Thanks, Neil. Thanks so for having me. It was fun. wraps things up for this week's WSJ Media Mix podcast. Please join us next time for a look at the people and issues that matter in the fast-changing world of media. For more, please check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts. From New York, I'm Jack Marshall. Mike, thanks for joining us. Thank you. On behalf of the Media Mix team, thanks for listening. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously.